Uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Ephesians chapter number five. Last week, Andy preached a message entitled The Gospel on Display in Marriage, the Role of the Wife. And uh, for a lack of creativity, I'm preaching a message entitled The Gospel on Display in Marriage, the Role of the Husband. And uh, we're just going to keep it uh, rolling with that theme. And obviously, we're continuing through our covenant series. Um, we're going through these biblical family roles. And as Ephesians 5 was aligned, we started with the role of the wife. And now this morning, we're going to move on to the role of the husband. And next week, Pastor Dave will walk us through the role of the parent-child relationship. And so, and these are so foundational really to the heartbeat of the local church, because really in all of these relationships, we have this reciprocal, um, just grace-enabled deference where we are submitting to one another, deferring to one another, loving one another, respecting one another. And really in that activity is the gospel, right? And so that's why we have titled this series, the way we have the gospel on display in marriage. This is the heart of marriage, the purpose of marriage. It is all about the gospel. And Paul makes this explicitly clear here in Ephesians chapter number five. And I think I've shared this quote before in uh, both our, our Genesis series as well as when we went through the book of Ephesians. It, uh, expositorily through the book of Ephesians. I think it's going on three, three and a half, four years ago, but um, I, I, I honed in on this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And in describing marriage, I think he gets to the heart of the benefit and the value and the joy of marriage. He says this, a well-matched couple carry a joyful life between them. They are a brace of birds of paradise they multiply their joys by sharing them and lessen their troubles by dividing them. Spurgeon says this is fine arithmetic. I love his insights in on marriage. Just last week in our A&I time, I uh, had the opportunity to have Dave and Pam Painter with us in our uh, group, and we were reflecting back on their 51, almost 52 years. Did I get that right? 51, almost 52 years of marriage and all that the Lord has done in and through their lives, the, the good times, the bads, the ups and the downs, they have put on display by God's grace, the gospel. And so whether it's a quote from Spurgeon or the inspired word of God, more importantly here in Ephesians chapter number five, I think we can all appreciate the opportunity that marriage presents to us, but that opportunity many times doesn't always come to fruition. Marriage is oftentimes filled with struggle and difficulty and pain and loss and strife. What are we to do with those realities? How are we supposed to navigate through them for the glory of God? And regardless of your marital status, whether you're a young person, a single, married for just a few years or married for many decades, there is something for us all as we look at God's heart and biblical marriage and understanding what it represents, the gospel on display. But Pastor Andy did such a great job this last week in such a short time in focusing our attention on just that, God's beautiful design in the role of the wife in the covenant of marriage. He reminded us, if you'll remember in Ephesians chapter number five, verse number 21, if you've got your, your Bibles open, look with me there in verse number 21, we reminded that this idea of submission wasn't just an activity for the wife, it was for all of us, as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look further up in chapter number five, verses one and two, what does Paul say there? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. This admonition to walk in love, it's not just for the husband's, but for Paul, it's for all of us. 
Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in a similar sense, ladies, you're not off the hook in this idea of biblical love. Just as men, we're not off the hook in this idea of biblical submission in the context of the covenant of marriage. So Paul says, if you want to be imitators of God, wow, what an incredible statement. And if you want to walk in love, what are you to do? Men, women, young, old, engaged, married, single, all of us are to be submitting to one another. So again, friends, submission. It's not just a female thing or a wife thing. This is a Christian thing. Christ Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, put this on display as he submitted himself to the Father's will there in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do? He submitted his will to the Father. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So as we turn our attention this morning to the men, the husbands, we're reminded that Paul is not saying that women are less than men. Paul is not saying that men should domineer over women in this role of headship. Paul's not giving them the right or the license to relate to their wives in a selfish, proud, arrogant, self-serving manner. Paul is not saying that a woman should stay in the kitchen, be barefoot and pregnant whatever negative cliches that you've heard over the years. This is not Paul's heart describing biblical covenant of marriage. Paul has something more important in mind. Paul has something eternal in mind, and it is the gospel. It is salvation. It is understanding more about God, his son, and his relationship to us and what he has provided for us in Christ, and through his death on the cross. So as husbands, we have a tall task ahead of us this morning as we understand the heart of God and the mind of God in regards to this role of being a husband. And as husbands, we can't do this on our own. So what is our prayer this morning as we approach Ephesians chapter number five? What is, our, what is our prayer as we as men come humbly to the word of God and we consider our church covenant and we consider rightly living this out for the glory of God? Our prayer is this, that we would get a God-sized vision for what God has for us and that we would, by his grace, intentionally pursue that we would intentionally pursue with a sense of urgency the biblical role of husbands in the covenant of marriage and that we would do this only with his help and for his glory. The big idea of our message this morning is this, because marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel, as husbands we should passionately pursue our wives in biblical love just as Jesus passionately pursued his bride, the church. I'll read that one more time, give you a moment to jot it down, because marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel. As husbands, we should passionately pursue our wives in biblical love, just as Jesus passionately pursued his bride, the church. We're going to look at just three simple observations concerning husbands and their wives this morning from Ephesians chapter number five, verses 25 through 33. The first point is this, husbands should love their wives sacrificially. Husbands, we should love our wives sacrificially. After commanding the wives to submit to their husbands, Paul does what? He turns his attention to the husbands and commands them with equal urgency and intentionality to love their wives. Man, at first glance, this seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We just stop right there. We, I got it, right? We, you know, I got the card and the roses on Valentine's Day. Most of the time, I get the anniversary ride. I, I get the reservation. We go out on a date. And, you know, hey, Eric, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing those things pretty good. 
Maybe I got a date night even on the calendar once a quarter or once a month if you're doing really good, right? And so, hey, you know, we're good. I mean, look at everything else that's going out there, right? I'm not as bad as this guy or that guy or maybe around the water cooler you're hearing the stories about how so many marriages are potentially on the rocks or, you know, the, this guy's talking about his old lady at home that just is nagging him to death. Look, Guys, this is not the bar that we're striving for in regards to marriage. We don't want to just be better than that and be satisfied with something less than God's best for our lives and for our marriages. So at the end of the day, our prayer is that we would get God's vision and heart and mind concerning our role as husbands and that there would be no external influences that we may fall into the trap of becoming satisfied with or complacent with. Because at the end of the day, many times as men, we can fall into the trap of just being satisfied with avoiding the big failure. You fill in the blank of whatever that might be, affair, moral struggle, whatever, whatever it is, as long as, as long as we're being faithful in that area, we're okay, right? Our wives have nothing to complain about. I said, pray that the Lord would give us something more than that as we look into God's word and we allow all these presuppositions, all these ideas and thoughts and influences that maybe have slipped into our life over the months and years and decades that we've been married and that we would say, God, right now, right here in this place, search me, know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Where are the blind spots in my marriage? God, where am I not loving my wife? And through this teaching, not of my own words, but through the word of God, that we would be changed, our marriages would be forever altered for the glory of God. That is our hope. And so husbands should love their wives sacrificially. As we think about these verses here in verse number 25, look with me there, wives Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here it is, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now we thought loving our wives seemed like a somewhat reasonable task until these qualifications were added onto the end of that phrase, as, how, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's important to note here that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's teaching here in Ephesians 5, this letter to the church at at Ephesus, this would have been a complete counter- cultural approach to marriage. For Paul to say, husbands, love your wives, that that was his command, that this was their core role in the marriage, was to love. This was not spoken of in their day. And not only was it to love our wives, but it was Agapao, agape type of love. This was a self-sacrificial, unconditional love. This would not have ever been spoken about or connected to of the man's role as husband in the marriage in that day. So Paul is, is really rustling some feathers here when he calls out men to do what? To love. And that day it would have been to lead, to provide, to protect, and even to domineer and to control the culture, that's what it would have been for the men of that day, for the husbands during this time. But Paul allowed all of those external influences to fall along the wayside. And Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling men to consider a new way. A new way of love. Needless to say, as I said before, Paul was speaking this radical, countercultural type of love. You see, friends, at the end of the day, God is 
doing something in marriage that is not just get through another day or add another year on the total of our anniversary. This is not the goal and aim of biblical marriage. God is doing something and has something in mind that is supernatural in this institution of marriage to put the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on full display. This message of husbands loving their wives, again, would have been foreign, but it also should have drawn them in. To what? And to whom? An example. And that example is a person. That is Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to, men. Not to be Christ, but to model Christ. Not to be the authority, but to model a perfect authority over our life that would extend in a spirit of love and a disposition of grace to our one flesh relationship in the covenant of marriage. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How then did Christ love the church? Verse number 26, or excuse me, verse number 25 again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How then did Christ love? He gave. He gave of what himself for whom? Her, his bride, the church. This is the model or the pattern that we are to follow in biblical marriage. We are to love with the quality that Christ loved his church. That is sacrificially, not self serving. Not domineering, not controlling, not for our own benefit or our own desires. We're to give of ourselves to meet the needs of others, namely our wives. So men, if you take a moment with me to think back on that fine Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever your day was of your marriage. You stood before God and the witnesses there, maybe outside at a chapel in a church, wherever your wedding ceremony was, when you stood before God and his witnesses to make those sacred vows and enter into the covenant of marriage, we were committing ourselves to a lifetime, whether we understood it this way or not, we're committing ourselves to a lifetime of Christ-like sacrificial love. As Christ loved men, so should we love. Choosing to give of ourselves, to empty ourselves, to prefer her over me to protect, to cherish, to honor, to pursue her always and forsaking all others. Is this not what we see in the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Did not he model that type of love in pursuing his bride, the church, in redeeming and reconciling a remnant back to himself? Paul, in his summary statements in the book of Colossians, chapter number three, Andy referenced this last week uh, in his sermon on the wives, chapter number three, uh, Paul writes this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's some interesting nuances, not only for the wives, but also for the husbands that would slightly differ here from Ephesians chapter number five. So it's one sentence. Husbands, love your wives. We've described that. We've understood that. It's modeled by Christ, empowered by Christ. Grace-enabled, self-sacrificial love flowing from the love that we have received in Christ that we then can offer our spouse in the covenant of marriage. But what additional nuance does Paul layer in in Colossians chapter 3? And do not be harsh with them. It's interesting that Paul adds on here this nuance of not being harsh with our wives. In the Greek, this has the idea of being unpleasantly rough. 
or jarring to the senses. Could also carry with it an idea of being cruel or even harboring resentment or bitter anger towards our spouse. The noun form of this word is pointed or sharp, usually in a reference to eros. And Paul urges us not to be harsh with our wives. But rather love. So man, let's talk about our words. Are they harsh? What about our volume? Are you loud? What about our posture? Are you arrogant? What about our body language, our facial expressions? Are they just mean? Paul says, do not be harsh. When we think of the gospel, we think of how Christ loved us. Are you thankful that Christ was not harsh with us? When we deserved judgment, he offered grace. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is the gospel. And men, we have an opportunity to put that gospel on display to our wives. An incredible opportunity. So as Pastor Andy mentioned this last week, and I think it bears repeating once again, there's there's this pulse check of where we might be as men in this given moment in loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And it came by way of a question. And I'll extend this question once again. Does your wife know And by no, I mean, does she really know that you are so invested in the success of your marriage and you are relentlessly pursuing and loving her as Christ did the church that she knows? And not only does she knows by words of hearing and affirmation, but she believes that you would be willing to give up anything for her well-being. Husbands, our wives, should know that. They should be incredibly secure in that reality because that is how Christ loved the church. He gave up everything so that the church could be secure in their relationship with the Heavenly Father. He gave of his own life, shed his own blood. Went to battle for us, defeating sin, death, and hell, and rose victorious. And that victory, man, is the victory that we too can walk in in our marriages. And so I'll say this, man. I don't know where you're at by way of success or failure in your marriage, but God wants you to get a God-sized vision for these realities of your role as husbands in the context of covenant marriage. It's never Friends, to do late, too late to walk in the victory and the grace that you've been offered to be who God designed you to be in your marriage, in your home, for the glory of God. So husbands should love their wives sacrificially. Second, husbands should love their wives purposefully. Husbands should love their wives purposefully. As we move on to verses 26 and 27, it's here that we see a series of three purpose statements that Paul outlines for us as husbands. So we are to love our wives, how as Christ loved the church, for the purpose of first sanctifying her. Look at me, verse number 26, that he might sanctify her. So the first purpose is of husbands loving their wife, the purpose of it, the goal of it, the desire of it 
It's to sanctify our wives just as Christ sanctified the church. The word used here for sanctify is hagiadzo. It literally means to make holy, to set apart. We know this simple understanding of set apart, but how does the Lord do this in and through the relationship of the husband to the wife? Look at me at the second half of verse 26. Paul calls out here the means by which this sanctification happens, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? Word. What does this mean? What's the example, the illustration that we've been following up to this point in looking at the role and responsibility of the husband? The example is Christ loving the church and giving himself up for her. So then, how did Christ sanctify his bride? Christ is what? John 1, the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. This is the reality of Christ. He is the word. Christ Jesus sanctified the church through the gospel, through the word of God. The Greek word for a word here is rhema, which most often in this word, it's connected in a prepositional type of form. It's most often referring to the gospel in the word of the Lord or the word of faith or the word of God. So the church is sanctified through the gospel. So then the downstream impact for us as men, as husbands, our only hope in fulfilling this role and responsibility, this opportunity, or seeing this purpose come to fruition in our marriage, our only hope is to pursue our wives through what? The word of God. To speak the word. For Christ as the word to be the central part of our marriage. To love the word of God. To point our wives and our families to the word of God. Friends, this as, as men can be a very intimidating task. We're going to talk more about this in A&I time. But friends, there's men Specifically, there are very simple steps that we can walk in to start making the word of God more prominent in our home. You don't have to have a doctorate in exposition. You don't have to go to a Bible college or have some certificate or have a ton of training, friends. This is taking the word of God, opening it up. And allowing the inspired and errant word of God to work in your marriage. And to admit to your wife, I don't have all the answers, but you know what? In humility, we're going to search for them. We're going to look into the word of God together. And we're not going to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we're going to acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. And that's going to be through the ministry of the word of God. Man, this is not an optional thing just for those that did go to Bible college or those that are pastors or deacons or leaders in a church or teaching a Sunday school class. No, this is, this is for all of us as men to be actively engaged, active participants in the sanctification of our wife. And that happens through the ministry of the word of God. He has given that responsibility by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do that. We are able to do that by God's grace and for his glory. I'm here to encourage you that we can take active steps today as we leave these doors to make the word of God the center of our home. Just as we said before, it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to fall on our knees and say, God, I've failed for years, for decades. But God is in the business of redeeming the time. He's in the business of taking the ashes and making something beautiful and great. 
He's in the business of reconciling broken relationships. That is the gospel. And he wants to do that in your marriage. But friends, you're not going to arrive at that destination in your own wisdom, in your own way, certainly not by world's standards and by their way. It's gonna come only as we follow the word of God. So let's love the word of God. Let's point our wives to the word of God. Let's make the word of God the center of our marriage. The second purpose statement that Paul gives us is right here in verse number 27. Why should we love our wives as Christ loved the church? So that, verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So this is verbiage here. This would have been alluding to the Jewish custom of this formal presentation of the bride. And here we have Christ presenting the church back to the Father, which more than likely is going to take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But beyond this moment and the formality of presentation, we have Christ presenting the church back to whom? The Father. Back to the Father. There is, as stated here in verse number 27, there's a specific quality or state of the bride that is noted here. Through this sanctifying and cleansing work of the word, the church grows in splendor and the church washes away spots and there certainly has no wrinkle or any such thing. This bride, the church, is putting on full display the glory of God. And so this is Christ in the church. Men, in like fashion, this is the opportunity that we have in front of us as we humbly submit ourselves to the word of God in our own personal life. And as we, by God's grace, seek to stand in the gap and rise up and be men of God and to humbly and graciously lead our wives spiritually, the Holy Spirit of God starts to do something there. He starts to change you, men. He starts to change your wife. He starts to grow you close together in relationship and intimacy. And your, your marriage starts to take on Christ's likeness as you uh, men are loving your wife as Christ loves sacrificially. You're looking for these purposes. You're giving of yourself. And, and wives, you, in a reciprocal way, are responding and respecting and submitting to the leadership of your husband in your marriage. And God starts to move in your home, in your marriage. And it's here that splendor starts to become Visible. It's at this moment when we understand and start to walk in obedience in God's design and covenant marriage that there's something external and visible that is produced. It's fruit. It's gospel fruit. We put on display, as Pastor Andy said last week, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This brings us to our third and final purpose that Paul calls out here, that she might be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. Earlier in this letter, turn over to chapter number one, verse number four. Chapter 1, verse number 4, in a similar fashion, Paul would remind his readers that they were, in fact, chosen by God for a purpose as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him in love. 
holy and blameless. This is the purpose of every Christian life. As we were chosen, we were saved, we were sanctified, we were set apart for a purpose, to be holy and blameless, to walk in good works so that others could see those good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Ephesians 2 verse 10 and Matthew chapter number 5 verse number 16 kind of melded together there is, is what that was. That was kind of a merge of two verses. But look those, those up. There's purpose for us. And that purpose is for us to be holy and blameless before him. How? In love. So men, as we square up on these realities, this is starting to get real, isn't it? We're called to be active participants in our wives' physical well-being, provider, protector, her emotional support, and yes, even her spiritual care. I've said it once before this morning, I'll say it again, participation in this way and for these purposes for us and based off of God's word, it is not optional. There is no, hey, you know what? That's just not really my style. That's not really my, you know, my spiritual gift. You know, I just, I'm not really kind of a lovey-dovey kind of guy. There's no exemption, men, from us in loving our wives in this way. This is God's design. This is his purpose. It is his institution that he established on this earth. And so he gets to make the terms. And this is how God in his sovereignty and perfect design, this is how he set it up to use marriage as a picture of the gospel. So God absolutely intends for these purposes to be accomplished in and through the covenant of your marriage and my marriage. He's chosen us as husbands in all of our flaws and failures and imperfections. He has chosen us as husbands to be the protector of that covenant. Just as Christ is the keeper of his covenant with his bride. The responsibility, man, can't be outsourced to your wife. Because it's more natural for her to come alongside the children and disciple them in the Lord. Because it's more natural for her to say, hey, you know what, honey, can we pray before we go to bed? Because it might be more natural or desirable for her to open up the word of God and share a verse at the end of the day. Doesn't mean that we're off the hook, man. This is our responsibility. And it is God's design and it is best. And those words right there, it is best, we can fall prey to the lie of Satan where he can say, hey, you know what? It'd be better if you just do nothing. Because remember last time you tried to be a spiritual leader, you failed. It lasted a week. Flash in the pan. God's grace meets us in that failure, and he says, keep on trying. And I have given you everything that you need in my grace to continue to walk and to continue to struggle and to continue to fail. But keep failing, because the more we fail means what? That's the more that we're trying. Stay in the fight, man. That's the challenge here. Love your wife not how you think she should be loved or how you feel like is more natural for you to love her, but love her as Christ tells us to love her. Final and third point this morning is that husbands should love their wives affectionately. Look quickly at verses 28 through 32. So it's in verses... 28 that Paul introduces a second illustration to help us understand the mind of the Lord concerning our role as husbands. So Paul goes on in verse 28, husbands 
are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. One commentator, Benjamin Merkel, describes this statement as unexpected since the text transitions from Christ's love to seemingly self-love. Wives, maybe you're sitting there and you're reading this again and you're like, man, this just doesn't, this illustration just doesn't feel right. All right, it almost, it almost could be viewed as, a, as almost demeaning since it subjects the wife to her husband's own care of himself or selfishness. It could be viewed if not careful. So Paul, however, he provides this practical and concrete example of love in the covenant of marriage. And he uses how we all, men and women, care for our own selves. So let's break down this illustration. It's natural for a man to love, nurture, and to protect himself. That's it's called self-preservation of your own life, right? It's just natural for us to protect ourselves, to care for ourselves. It's natural. It's part of, a part of life. When you're hungry, what do you do? You go find some food. When you're hurt, what do you do? You address the pain. When you're tired, you find a moment of rest. This is how we love ourselves. We care for ourselves. So just as it's natural for a man to love, nurture, and protect himself, Paul is saying in a same sense or similar sense, he should love, nurture, and protect his wife in a reflexive, natural type of way. Further, the ultimate example of one loving his own body has just been demonstrated, demonstrated in Christ. What did Christ do? He loved his own body, the church, to the point of death, verse number 25. So the final phrase in verse 28, look with me there. He who loves his wife loves himself. It ties back to this previous phrase at the beginning of verse number 28, as their own bodies. This clearly demonstrates what Paul's big idea for his own section of scripture here, it's not merely to discuss how a man loves his own body, right? L look past that, and what is, what is Paul trying to say here? What is the mind of the Lord in giving us this illustration through inspiration of scripture? It's, it's not just about how a man loves his own body, but rather, it's to suggest how natural it should be for a husband to love his wife, that's not to say it's easy. That's not to say that it's not complex. That's not to say that it's a walk in the park and of any of those things, but it should be natural for a man who is loving his wife as Christ loved the church. It should be natural for a man who loves his wife in a similar way that he loves his own body to care and nurture for and to love his wife. Men, we care for our own bodies. You don't set up a schedule. You don't set up a checklist. You don't plan all these great things. You just care for yourself. You just do these basic activities of living because you love your existence. In the same sense, Paul is saying, just as you love yourself, men, and it's just natural for you to get a drink of water and to get a bite of food and to take a rest when you're weary, to dress a wound when it is present, care for your wives. Love your wives. This is the heart of this illustration. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, he goes on, but what? Nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Why? Because we are members of his body. Paul says, verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24 to remind us of what? This one flesh relationship. 
between husband and wife and the covenant of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So just as Christ nourishes, what does this mean? This has the idea of feeding. And just as Christ cherishes, this has the idea of looking over and ensuring adequate care. Just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body, so should we as husbands nourish and cherish our wives. Why? Because they are part of our flesh. Two have become one. Just as it's natural to care for yourself, it should be natural to care for the emotional and spiritual and physical needs of your wife. Why? Because she is a part of you in the covenant of a one flesh marriage. This is what Paul has in mind for us. These are reminders for us. They should heighten our awareness and understanding of our role and responsibility, men. So we take care of our bodies. We pursue our ability to continue and to sustain our life and existence on this earth every single day. Just as I use the illustration of an open wound and you would address it, you would find the source and you would, you would ensure that you stopped the bleeding. You would ensure that that wound was dressed. You would ensure that there was no infection. You would care for it. Man, I wonder, is your marriage bleeding right now? And you're doing nothing about it. Are you asleep at the wheel in the covenant of marriage? As you see your role and responsibility as husbands and you see the mind of the Lord and you see the enablement, the example, the grace to follow in this way of biblical husbandry, I wonder, is now the time? I don't want to be emotional or sensational and try to stir up any response, but friends, if not now, when? If not now, when? Tomorrow? Next week? Next year? Look at me in verse number 32. Paul brings it back to the gospel on display in marriage. He says this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to the church. Paul describes these realities of covenant marriage as a what? Calls it a a mystery. This mystery, according to Paul in this letter and in the book of Romans, would be referring to the plan of God once hidden, but now revealed in whom? Jesus Christ, the gospel. So this mystery is really no longer a mystery because Christ has come, he's lived, he's given of his life, he's shed his blood, he's given us the example. Marriage is more than just an earthly contract. It's more than just a tax benefit. Marriage is the gospel made visible on this earth. So the second observation here is that Paul refers to this mystery as profound or great. Again, in the Greek, this word comes from the word megas or mega, right? This would clearly be drawing attention to the incredible magnitude and significance of this mystery, this covenant of marriage in our role as both husbands and wives. This mystery is profound. Finally, just so Paul is abundantly clear about his teaching, he specifically describes the mystery as referring to what Christ and the church, the gospel on display In marriage, this is the role of the husband. Husbands should love their wives sacrificially, 
Husbands should love their wives purposefully. Husbands should love their wives affectionately, nourishing and cherishing and caring for them as Christ loved the church. Big idea. So because marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel as husbands, we should passionately pursue our wives in biblical love just as Jesus passionately pursued his bride, the church. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, join me in a word of prayer as we commit this time to the Lord. And as we pray, worship team can come and deacons, you can come and prepare yourselves also for our time of communion. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace. And wow, as we look at the example of Christ and to consider that as men, we have the responsibility to model Christ in the marriage, we can feel overwhelmed, we can feel inadequate, and thus we can throw in the towel and just not even try. And so Father, I pray that you would guard the hearts of every husband here and future husband here, that we would avoid this lie from the pit of hell. We would recognize that as the thief that is attempting to still kill and destroy and to take away the abundant life that you promised us as we obey your word and pursue your word. So Father, I pray as men that we would consider our responsibility, our role in relating to our wives rightly in a way that would bring honor to you, in a way that would glorify you, in a way ultimately that would draw others to yourself. We pray that you would protect the seed that has been planted in our hearts, that it would not be snatched up, that it would not be choked out or trampled upon, but it would take root into our hearts as men, as husbands, and that it would grow and that it would bear fruit and we would see flourishing, thriving, God-glorifying marriages in this church in the days ahead. Father, if there's a man here that maybe needs to take a time and just get something right with his wife, even maybe even before this time of communion. I pray that as men, we would do that. As wives, even last week, considering their role to submit uh, to the leadership of the husband in the marriage, distinct roles, but equal in role and value and worth. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to expand our minds and our hearts in this incredible gift of marriage, even as we prepare in the weeks ahead for a marriage conference, we pray that you would do a great work in our hearts and our lives. And we pray these things in your name, amen.